You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast, 3CR's Saturday breakfast show. And uh, it's lovely weather outside, so I'm assuming that everything will be going swimmingly for you all during the day. But <clears throat> settle down. We're going to, uh, we've got a bit of a program for you today. A rally for Forest. We went down there on uh, Tuesday, the first uh, day of Victorian Parliament, uh, 7th of February, uh, calling for the end of native forest logging. Um, we're going to go and have a chat with Paddy Gibson, who uh, is the anti-racist who had his uh, house attacked by neo-Nazis uh, in Sydney, and uh, they've just uh, um, given a two-and-a-half-year-in-jail sentence with a non-parole period of 18 months to Desmond Leddington, a neo-Nazi extremist over the incident. So we're going to have a chat with Paddy. Um, this is the week that was. Just to remind you that uh, Kevin goes on his a week uh, yearly uh, dip in the sea for a week next week. So you better savour this is the week that was this week because he won't be here the following week and no complaints. It happens every year. We're going to uh, hear from the people who stood on the uh, pavement outside Nathan Lambert's office in uh, Preston, uh, calling for the saving of the Preston market. And then we're going to have a chat with um, someone from everyone's home who uh, is interested in the fact that uh, raising interest rates, etc., etc., is um, not going to help help renters and uh, some of the solutions that should be in the pipeline. But before we get on, we'll um, have a few announcements. Solidarity Salon, home of Radical Women and Freedom Socialist Party, has moved to Reservoir. We are a socialist, feminist bookshop and organising centre eager to collaborate with a diversity of optimistic rebels. All gender identities welcome. We're at 113 Spring Street Reservoir, near Regent Station. Drop in or get contact details at socialism.com. Solidarity Salon is a proud 3CR supporter. Tune in to 3CR Victoria's Pride Street Party Broadcast, a four-hour special event on Sunday, the 12th of February, from 12 to 4 p.m. 
will be broadcasting out on the street and featuring the voices of 3CR's queer programmers and guests, including Out of the Pan, In Your Face, PX Fano, and Queer in the Air, on topics that focus on queer pride and ongoing advocacy for LGBTIQA people. Listen to the broadcast on air or live from the corner of Smith and Mason Streets in Fitzroy. For more details, head to 3cr.org.au forward slash 3CR Pride Party 2023. Hi, I'm Eric Bibb, and you're listening to 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, you are, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. There are a couple of uh, good news stories this week. Uh, well, halfway good news uh, in one respect. The, uh, there has been some movement on the uh, Change the Bail laws in Victoria uh, the, after the um, findings at uh, the uh, Nelson, uh, at the uh, death of Veronica Nelson, um, uh, the inquest, it was found that uh, uh, the Victorian government has committed to reforming the Bail Act after damning coroner's report into the death in custody of Veronica Nelson, found it was incompatible with the state's charter of human rights and discriminatory towards First Nations people because it would be found that the imprisonment rates for all adults increased during this period and the rate at which Aboriginal women were imprisoned nearly doubled. It was a response to uh, what happened down at the uh, Burke Street Mall uh, with uh, the um, issue of uh, the deaths uh, caused by a person who probably should have not been out on bail. But fundamentally, our bail laws need to protect the community from serious offending without having a disproportionate or unintended impact on those accused of low-level offending who do not represent a risk to community safety, which is... Um, this was uh, from the Victorian government spokesperson. But um, the problem is that they're now focusing on the types of crimes as opposed to what Bells, the Vic- uh, Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, says is really the problem, which is uh, um, the reverse onus law. The reverse onus law is where instead of police having to show cause not to give bail, the defendant, the lawyer, has to, for the defendant, has to prove they are not a risk. And this is one of the reasons for why people are falling through the cracks. And so there's still a little way to go, but some movement. Um, the other thing that was good news was that the uh, uh, proposed central Queensland coal mine, uh, Clive Palmer owned, um, has been knocked on the head. It was uh, supposed to go ahead uh, uh, 10 kilometres from the Great Barrier Reef World Heritage Area and it was uh, considered to be a major threat to the reef with independent scientific modelling showing that the sediment from the mine may have increased water pollution and threatened turtle and dugong strongholds. The Queensland government recommended that the project was not suitable to proceed and federal-appointed scientists said they could not envisage mitigation measures that could safeguard the nearby environment. Now, um, and uh, Plevisek, uh, the federal... Environment Minister has dis- made the decision to reject the uh, proposal. 
the proposed Queensland coal mine. Uh, this is the first time that um, the Australian government has rejected a coal mine after federal assessment. And as uh, the activists uh, uh, from the uh, Great Barrier Reef um, environmental area have said uh, that this should be uh, a uh, beginning for um, a, a massive change because fossil fuels drive global warming, which is the greatest threat to our reef. So we'll see what happens next. Uh, but that is a good piece of good news. Um, okay, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. And as I promised, I said that we'd go to the rally for the forest. Uh, first up, uh, this was at, on the steps of uh, Victorian Parliament on the 7th of February. It was uh, uh, scheduled for the first day of Parliament. Uh, first up, we hear from the Climate Choir, um, the Melbourne branch, <laughs> and uh, they set the scene. And then we hear from Sue McKinnon from uh, Friends of King Lake. We hear from Robert Pugel from the Dandenong's Landcare Network. You might be interested to know some news in regard to uh, uh, some um, felling that's uh, uh that uh, Vic Forrest would like to be able to do in the Dandenong. And we also hear from a representative from uh, Ballarat XR who were helping out the uh, residents of the Wombat uh, State Forest and uh, the defenders of the Wombat State Forest who have already been experiencing Vic Forests going in for uh, what they call uh, salvage logs but is uh, turning out to be a lot more aggressive than that. But anyway, here we go. Let's let's hear from uh, uh, what they had to say. Happy forests have biodiversity So what more could we ask trees to do If the world gets much hotter than we all know That the weather extremes will be dry Some make forests are very combustible it will be like a funeral pile. Healthy forests are good for the atmosphere. Healthy forests absorb CO2. Healthy forests help biodiversity. So what could we ask trees to do? I'm from 3CR. Can you tell me why you've come to the uh, rally today? Oh, because I support uh, um, non-logging in the um, forests. That's why I support. Uh, that's why I'm here today. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you live in the forest? Are you lucky enough? Um, we've got a place in the Wombat State Forest, and well, I don't live there, but um, I go there frequently, and I was part of a group that uh, defended the town of Blackwood from all the logging coops that were going to be um, done by the loggers up there in uh, about 90, uh, 2002, I think it was, something like that. Anyhow, we had a big fight and we eventually won. So I'm still here to sort of extend my support to um, the... Um, anti-logging group. Underline the victory. Sorry, you're... Underline the victory, that it, it should be a continuous victory, not a, 
uh, continue its fight. Of course, of course. And, um, you know, deforestation worldwide is uh, a really big problem. And why in a developed country like Australia that it's allowed is beyond my comprehension. But uh, anyway. Thank you. Okay, bye. G'day, I'm from 3CR. Can Hello, you... 3CR. I'm, yeah. I'm Angela from Wombat Forest. Yeah, yeah, tell me about what's going on. Uh, well, Wombat Forest is where lots of the uh, logging crews and Vic Forest think they can offside while they sort out the, the other side of the state. So we've got so quite a few crews so in there logging as best they can the with community resistance. So there's none today. Okay. My name's Alana and I'm Friends of the Earth Forest Campaigner for Victoria. <laughs> and I just want to say I was so grateful to each and every one of you for showing up here today on the first sitting day of Parliament to make some noise and send a really clear message to those sitting within the big house that we want to see real action for forests. And this is the year, and we want to see an end to native forest logging. I'd love to give a warm welcome to Sue McKinnon from King Lake Friends of the Forest, who some of you may know, she's been working very hard with her community group to protect threatened species such as the Greater Glider. So here we have Sue. Hey, amazing to see everyone here. As Alana said, I'm Sue McKinnon. I'm fortunate enough to live in King Lake. I'm right near the King Lake tall mixed eucalypt species forest and not far away from Tulangi, beautiful mountain ash forest. I've been in this campaign for seven years and finally, finally I'm beginning to realise what Mahatma Gandhi said. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you and then you win. So right now, Vic Forest is on its knees. It has no social licence. It's been found to have been illegally logging and it's losing money year after year. Last year, it made a loss of $54 million. Over its 18 years, us taxpayers have given Vic Forest our forest for free. We've given Vic Forest $121 million for the privilege of having our forest cut down. And this government is now handy, giving them access to another $50 million to continue to operate this year. So in the Supreme Court last year, a decision was handed down in what became known as the Gliders case. It was found that Vic Forest is killing greater gliders. And Vic Forest knew that. Their own expert admitted it in court. It was also found that Vic Forest is driving yellow belly gliders and greater gliders, both threatened species, towards extinction. It was found that Vic Forest is not looking for
for greater gliders or yellow belly gliders before they log. And it was found that thick forest has been logging illegally over the entire of the Central Highlands and East Gippsland. But we knew this. We knew that Vic Forest was logging illegally. And the government up here knew that too. In May 2020, it was handed, the decision in the Friends of Leadbeater Possum versus Vic Forest case was handed down. And in that case, it was found that Vic Forest is breaking state laws. It was a federal court case. It found that Vic Forest had been breaking state logging laws, many of them, including clause 2.2.2.2, which is the precautionary principle. And the government knew this, and the government regulator did nothing. Vic Forest did not change their, their management, did not change their operations, and yet the government regulator did nothing. It took five, five community groups, took the government to court then. And most of us focused on that clause that I just mentioned, the precautionary principle. I mentioned the precautionary principle because this is a fundamental principle that was brought in, in the, into Australian laws when, Vic, when Australia signed the Rio Declaration back in 1992. Back then, in the Earth Summit, it was globally became accepted that to be sustainable, you must take precaution to not risk serious or irreversible environmental damage. So for Vic Forest to now have been found to be in breach of this precautionary principle, four times now, including widespread logging, means that they cannot call themselves sustainable. And this government cannot accept that they call themselves sustainable, let alone refer to them as sustainable. It also means that any company that's using Vic Forest in their supply chain needs to remove sustainable from their marketing spin. And we need to call this out. And this includes Nippon through their arm Opal Australia. They're taking 85% of Vic Forest, the trees that Vic Forest cut down and, and removed from the forest. And they may close their white paper line, but they will still take native forest for their packaging lines. They're converting native forest into cardboard. It includes ship pellets, who are making 2,700 pellets every day from native forest. That's 500 tonnes of our trees, 500,000 kilograms of, of our trees every single day. Woolworths, Coles, Aldi, all use shed pellets. And we need to call this out. They can't call themselves sustainable if their very transport is based on the destruction of our native forest. What do we want? No logging. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? No logging. When do we want it? Now.
I'd love to introduce Robert Pergel, who is from the Dandenong Landcare Network. He's been working really hard with the Victoria National Parks Association to protect the Dandenong Ranges with his community. And without further ado, here's Robert Pergel. Hello, everyone, today. Um, firstly, I'd just like to say thank you for everyone coming out today. It's, it's really nice to have such a strong sense of support, um, show of support from people coming from a range of different backgrounds, including places like Wombat State Forest, the Dandenongs, East Gippsland, all across Victoria. I guess I'd, I just want to paint a picture for people because they might not know what's happening at the moment and how things are changing. So we have got a proposal, a scheduled proposal, to log in the Dandenong Ranges National Park. This is, this is completely unprecedented. This is something that we have not seen before. We've spoken to ecologists, we've spoken to people that have a background in this area and they haven't seen this before. So traditionally they'll do work along fire breaks, opening up tracks, that sort of thing, but this is different. This is broad acre logging that's going to happen up in the Dandenongs. And the context of all this is basically the storms that happened last year on the 8th of June. A lot of people would have heard about the damage that happened up in the Dandenongs, Mount Macedon and Wombat State Forest. So what we've got in the Dandenongs is a lot of storm damaged timber. We know from the mapping that approximately 300 hectares of the 3,200 hectare Dandenong Ranges National Park was affected. So we're looking at an area of about 10%. And what we know from the Yarra Rangers Council is, is they've estimated something around about 25,000 trees have fell over during that period of time when we had these intense storms coming from the south and east-facing aspects. And of course, this affected a lot of areas, particularly on the ridges and exposed um, areas in association with that. So what we did from the perspective I'm uh, the president of the Southern Dandenong's Landcare Group. What we did is we started monitoring the recovery of these forests. We wanted to know what was happening after the, the storm damage. And what we were finding is a lot of these forests are recovering naturally. They may need some help and assistance to control things like invasive species, but we think it's completely unjustifiable to go in and start salvage logging. And that is the proposal that we've got here, and that is what we are facing. So what we did is we listened to what was happening in the media. Basically, we had Monique Ryan, the CEO of Vic Forests, doing a flyover in a helicopter, looking at the area of the Dandenong straight after the storm damage. And she was really interested in the timber straight away. But we're interested in that timber becoming part of the habitat of the national park and associated areas. This is an area that should be protected for its conservation values, not an area that should be used for commercial interests of Vic Forest. So we had a, we've had several meetings, including a meeting with the then Deputy uh, the Deputy Premier, James Molino, when he was still in Parliament here. And he basically indicated his concerns. We've had meetings as well since then with Parks Victoria, DALP, which is now DECA for those people that don't know. Um, 
and also forest fire management, which is the key proponent of this work, which is FFM. The last meeting that we had in November 2022, forest fire management indicated that they want to remove or have a treatment area of 100 hectares. This is within the Dandenong Ranges National Park. So since then, uh, we've sort of had a bit of a dog chasing its tail conversation as to what actually is going to happen. And their proposal is to do the logging um, as a way of reducing the fuel, but also a commercial use of logs in a time frame in which they can still use them. So they've got about two years from the storms, and then after that two-year period, the logs won't be usable. So the key thing to remember here is the logs aren't actually the part of the forest that is the fuel load. The fuel load is measured up to things that are about a pencil in thickness. We're talking six millimetres in size. The logs are the last things that burn when it comes to bushfires. The fallen trees in this situation, we want them to be protected. We want them to be left in situ because they have formed part of this structurally diverse and complex environment which can be used by a range of different species in this situation. We've got a lot of small mammals and birds that will quite happily take up this environment. So the current proposal, and this is the irony of this, the current proposal is to generate income from the sale of logs to restore the site after they've taken the logs out. But, but the critical part that we need to remember is you don't trash a site by logging it and then use the funds to protect it. So forest fire management, the proponent of the works, they haven't been transparent and they haven't been forthcoming with information. So what we've basically done is we've gone to the media in an effort to get further answers and an attempt to understand the nature and the extent of the works that are happening. So they've notified us in a meeting in November last year that they intended to start work before Christmas. And without, without any sort of public consultation involved, it's just absolutely appalling. So we went to The Age, we had an article in The Age with Mickey Perkins, we went to the local paper, got the front, uh, the front page there, and we've also had an interview on 774 with a representative from the VMPA. Because we want to put this issue of the logging in the Dandenong Ranges National Park in the public domain. People need to know about it. There hasn't been public consultation and there isn't information online. So by and large, the community don't know about it. The critical thing here is the community don't want it, the people oppose it and the environment doesn't need it. So what we are requesting today is people stay up to date with what's happening follow our Facebook page, that is the Southern Dandenong's Landcare Group, and also follow the information that's coming out of the Victoria National Parks campaign. We've been working closely um, with these two organisations. And the critical end message here is that if we start intervening in a way in which that we are going in and logging the Dandenong Ranges National Park, 
what precedent does that then set if we have storm damage in the future, do we then have Vic Forest coming back again? It's completely unacceptable in 2023. We're looking at the impact of the compaction to the soil, the changes in modification to the flora, the fauna, the changes in the structurally complex habitat, the diversity of all the species here. This is something that we cannot restore. I work in restoration ecology. This, this sort of thing takes decades to restore. In this situation, we will end up coming with a, a very bad outcome. So what we ask people to do today is to sign on to the VMPA petition. And another thing that we want to mention is, as far as we know, these works are driven by the department. They're not, as we understand it, driven by the state government. But the, the state government needs to be made aware. So our petition is basically an email to the state and federal government, to the environment ministers, to say, this is unacceptable and we cannot have logging in a national park and we certainly can't have it from big forests. Thank you. I'm from 3CR and I was interested in uh, finding out about Ballarat uh, Extinction Rebellion's work uh, defending the wombat sure. state forest. Can you tell me what's been going on? Yeah, so um, we've been helping out with the wombat forest action group. The uh, Vic Forest, we first heard a year or two ago that they were starting to do what they were calling salvage operations. We didn't believe it and um, we started looking into it and we found out of course that it's uh, much more than just salvage. They're in enlarging their log landings, they're pulling out, they're cutting down living trees. So as we suspected, this is, this is uh, much more than just salvage clean-up work of what they originally said it was. Yeah, so how have you gone about uh, dealing with... Uh, what's your tactic? Yeah, so Wombat Action Group are the people who live in the neighbourhood. So we've, first, one of the first things we did was set up a chat, chat group, so that whenever they heard machinery or saw trucks moving, they could let everybody know. We hooked them up with um, the Extinction Rebellion people in Ballarat, the XR Ballarat crew, because we've got you know extra numbers for them, so we can get a few more people to come out when they need people to be on site in the forest. Also help them out with a bit of social media and media and so forth. But the Wombat Action Group are pretty, pretty organised already in that regard. So moral support, a bit of technical aid, and and some extra numbers when they need some support, and also coming along to events like this in Melbourne today at Parliament House. The more we all work together, all these groups involved in the same topics, the more we work together, the stronger we are. How, su yeah, how successful has uh, the uh, tactics been? Because there's been people lock locking on. I mean, that's a personal uh, decision uh, by people, very courageous. Uh, but how uh, successful ha has the tactics been? Yeah, very successful. We had one person lock on last week. That was the first time we've actually done anything like that. Previously, we've just been turning up with banners and signs and things. It's quite confronting. Yeah, so escalation time. So we had someone lock on last week, and there's been no work at the site all week, last week. Uh, today, as far as we know, there hasn't been any work. As I say, we have people out there, so we know when there's work going on. Um, and the other actions going on around from the other forest groups, such as the court case, all of these things combined, as we are saying before, groups working together, all of these things combined are absolutely going to stop that logging in Wombat Forest. We know very well that Vic Forest had big plans for what they were going to do in the Wombat and I believe that the, the opposition that they've got from the locals 
has made them change their plans. I think they thought they were just going to do a bit of logging. It's a remote area, it's in the country, nobody will notice. But they've absolutely chosen the wrong people to, uh, to, to ignore and discount because the people in Dalesford, the people in Ballarat, all around the Central Highlands, we love our forests. We have to protect them. The remnant forest is very rare. There are endangered species in there and we just cannot have that being torn up and turned into cardboard to send overseas. Just as a matter of interest, do you know if the people who are uh, driving the machines, etc, etc, are they locals or are they bringing them in, work crews from elsewhere? Yeah, there are a couple of different contractors we've noticed. We've noticed the names on the trucks, on the sides of the trucks are contractors. Some of them uh, may or may not be local. We had one group of contractors who suddenly packed up and left because we put a complaint into the Office of the Conservation Regulator uh, about this group working in an area, in a coop. And um, the day after we put the complaint in, the OCR asked to see their permits and paperwork, which they didn't have, so they packed up and left. So, so they were opportunists. Oh, there's a lot of cowboy stuff going on out there. I assume they were employed by Vic Forest to do this work, but did they have their paperwork and permits in place? No, they did not. Let alone an authority to control wildlife, which is what you need if there's going to be any animals in the forest. So even just simple actions of asking to see their paperwork and their permits, Vic Forest is not even doing that. And it's just an outrage. So we've been all over them um, from the proper channels. People, people often don't hear about the proper channel stuff we do because what they see is the exciting stuff like people locking on that gets on the news. We've been working on this for well over a year now, going through the proper channels, and we keep being ignored. So that's when we start locking on. Thanks very much. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am on digital and online, 3CR Radical Radio. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got Paddy Gibson on the line. G'day Paddy, how are you? I'm good, good morning. Good morning and uh, congratulations on the victory effectively of uh, a... Uh, an outcome that should have happened uh, where Desmond Liddington, a neo-Nazi extremist who attacked your house, has been given a prison sentence. Yeah, no, thank you. It was was good to hear that he'd actually been given a custodial sentence and a hefty one at that. I mean, the, the first Nazi who attacked our house and had a sentencing hearing about six months ago, Max Ferrer didn't get a custodial sentence. He's just got a community corrections order. But Dean Lincoln was another kettle of fish. This guy has, you know, a violent record as long as your arm and was actually on bail for domestic violence offences when he attacked our house. And he was given bail initially um, for the attack after after he was arrested. Um, but he then drove into a police car one evening about two months ago um, 
absolutely loaded, yeah, drunk out of his brain, uh, rammed into a police car. Um, for some reason, we're not sure. It may be the case that he's actually trying to get inside so he can recruit for his neo-Nazi organisation. We're not sure, but so he was already in jail when the sentencing hearing happened for that offence. And yeah, I just don't think that the magistrate could justify not uh, putting him away after the violence of the attack on our house, but also, you know, also many other offences as well. Now, um, it must have been very frightening because it was you and your family and you're a, um, an anti-racist uh, campaigner and it was around Black Lives Matter issues. Um, uh, it, when it comes to your home, it's a very domestic and uh, up-in-your-face sort of affair, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's awful, and I mean, I, it's, I mean, it's just important to acknowledge. I think that these, you know, I'm I'm non-indigenous. I'm a white guy, and uh, these Nazis, they, you know, routinely um, intimidate and attack Aboriginal people, people of colour, um, you know, L- LGBTI comrades. Um, so there's a lot of people out there that are in the sights of these guys, and we really just express our ongoing solidarity with anyone that's facing, you know, the threat of the far right. But in this instance, yeah, they, they came to our house because of the role that I've played in speaking publicly um, in Sydney, particularly to defend protests, Black Lives Matter protests. They've tried to shut down um, the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020 and 2021 using COVID restrictions. And so it was a very contested time. And I was involved in some court case challenges with the family of David Dungay. Yep. Um, trying to assert our rights to take the streets in that moment. And because of media interviews that I was doing at that time, I got a lot of death threats um, and a lot of threats and death really threats. saw... Yeah, no, that's right. Yep, a lot of a lot of death threats, threats to the... sent to my work email, um, random text messages, a range of things. But, yeah, again, I would just like to acknowledge, like, as Aboriginal comrades of mine, that that's just their life, you know, like they organise... Um, all the time and they receive a level of vitriol and harassment that I've never, never really seen. So it was, you know, it was quite extraordinary, uh, the overwhelming sort of, yeah, uh, violence and hostility in the messages that I was getting around that time of the Black Lives Matter rallies. And I must have got on their radar at that point because there's actually Nazi um, websites where people are discussing me and putting the home address my family actually up online. Uh, we didn't realise at the time, but, you know, subsequently had found all of this. Um, and, yeah, on this day, three of them just decided that they were going to come here and smash up the front of my house and demand I come outside. We thought they were trying to force entry, you know. It felt like they were trying to get inside and hurt us. So it was pretty, yeah, it was a pretty awful experience. But it just goes to show, you know, the threat that these guys face. And... There's a spate of bashings of homeless Aboriginal people here in 2021 that we believe was this organisation, Firm 22, they're called. They're actually a well-organised neo-Nazi outfit. And there's never been any proper investigation or justice for that. So, you know, um, they came here. There was plenty of security cameras. I've got quite a lot of political support. I mean, we've got support, my family and the trade union movement. Um, my partner's a lead delegate, Matt Wesley, in the Maritime Union. Um, so we've got some good political support. Uh, you know, people from the Labor Party made representations that something should be done about this. And so, you know, this attack was taken a lot more seriously than maybe some others are. And, and we're glad uh, that that's the case. And we're glad to see 
uh, that the police did take this seriously. And, and in this instance, you know, Des Livington has been punished. Just, just as a matter of interest, on at the time, how long did it take for the police to actually come? The police didn't come. Uh-huh, there so, you go. Yeah, so like when they were attacking the house, um, we came inside the house and tried to call the police. And, uh, yeah, I called the police three times, actually, and they didn't come. They turned up about, yeah, about 25 minutes after the attack. Right. Um, but it was neighbours who came and made us feel safe that we could come out of the house. Um, yeah, so because we didn't know what was happening, like we thought, because the front windows were smashed. Mm. So, and, and they could get around the side of our house if they wanted to, but I think they didn't realise that actually there was a big skip in, um, Sort of, but they could have come around the side, and we had a whole lot of glass at the side of the house. We were waiting for them to come, and you know, it was it was quite scary. But neighbours came and they ran away, and and their faces were all over CCTV, and, and including the car they came in, mm. um, and they were already under surveillance. That's the thing. Like they earlier in the day, they were at a Nazi meeting uh, that was already under surveillance, and so while it's true that the police did take this case seriously, and you know. Uh, um, it's good to see this result. Like, actually, they know a hell of a lot more about these neo-Nazi organisations organization, than what they're saying publicly um, for some time. And actually, the first guy, Max Ferrer, didn't get a custodial sentence because the police held back information from the court they had about Firm 22 because they didn't want to compromise their intelligence operation. But I think a lot more has to be done to actually expose the fact that you've got these hardcore, well-organised Groups of people, they're you know they're going out training with weapons. Um, Max Ferrell, when his house was raided, they also confiscated illegal fire, uh, you know, illegal ammunition. Mm. So you know, this is a serious outfit, and you know there needs to be far more political leadership in terms of condemning, and you know, a political movement to challenge and you know break up um, this kind of organisation. Did you? Uh, uh, did the police lay charges, or did you have to? No, the police did lay charges. So what happened with the police was, as we said, they were they were slow to move, you know, so they didn't come at first. And then for the first 24 hours, we also didn't really feel like it was being taken seriously. In fact, one of the, like, lead coppers that they sent out to investigate, because he had a Blue Lives Matter patch on his uniform, and we couldn't believe it. Like, <laughs> we thought, what's going on, you know? Or oh, the thin blue line it was. They've got this patch, the thin blue line that's like a sort of... You know, yeah, the police. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah I, interpreted, I was going to say, I was just started to think of blue people. Thing. We haven't got no, blue people. No, that's right. That's yeah. right. But it's been associated with the stuff in America about, you know, blue lives matter and this sort of thing. So we were like, you know, oh, bloody hell, like, what's going on? Like, you know, with the police involved in this, you know, they didn't even <laughs> bloody come. But the, but like I said, like, we do actually, me and my partner have both been active on the left in Sydney and around the country for, you know, 20 years. So we do have, like, quite a lot of support in the trade union movement and, you know, even into the Labor Party. Um, and, yeah, a fuss was made about this. Yeah, uh, yeah. The fact that the police hadn't done anything. And suddenly, after some phone calls, including from senior police that I've negotiated demonstrations with over the years, that I called and said, look, what the hell's going on? They're attacking my house and the police didn't even come. So some phone calls were made and suddenly we had, you know, very serious detectives on the door the next day and they were taking it very seriously. And we came to learn 
that they know all about these people. They know all about them. There's a massive, you know, no, it's not a massive organisation, but it's a serious organisation. Um, and it's one of the number. And they're very violent and they're active and they, you know, they, need, to, they need to be broken up. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, but they're active situation. not just in Sydney but all along the coast. That's right. I mean, one of the guys came from Nowra. You know, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, the other thing was uh, getting to the magistrate's finding um, because uh, something happens, then it gets uh, sort of put into the into legalese, and um, it's uh, motivated by hate or prejudice, indicating that the offences were more serious and should be judged as race hate crimes. That it goes into another level, doesn't it? That's right. So that's why his sentence was a lot like he got a custodial sentence whereas the first bloke that I mentioned did. And, yeah. You know, one of the reasons was all the evidence was on the table that this is a white supremacist organisation and they attacked my house because I was, you know, active in terms of the Aboriginal rights movement. So even though I'm white, <laughs> it was construed as a, it was a hate crime because they came here because of our solidarity with yeah. Okay. And then the next thing is that uh, one of the uh, three a- a- who hasn't been sentenced actually put his hands up and uh, pled guilty and has been given a uh, community-based order. But the That's third, right. but the third person has pleaded not guilty. I know, and I don't know if that's going to last, you know. So he's, I would think he'd probably be looking now at um, Livington's sentence and thinking, shit, you know, what am I going to do here? So he might, you know, he might change his sentence is what we think. But, you know, if he doesn't, yeah, we'll have to go to court about it. And if we do, you know, we're not going to be going alone. We're going to be, you know, making sure we, you know, bring support and, you know, have a strong demonstration to say that, you know, these, these people aren't welcome on our streets and we have to stand up and, you know, and fight them. Um, but that, but look, I, I think he probably might change his plea, but we'll wait and see. Yeah. yeah it's March, I'm hearing. Yeah. The other thing is that, Paddy, you uh, draw um, some parallels with uh, Premier Dominic, uh, well, actually, <laughs> his uh, dressing <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even bear thinking Without about. That's a uniform. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, stating that uh, he was pleased that the climate activist uh, Violet Coco was sentenced to 15 months for stopping traffic for, you know, a couple of hours. Um, But, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And and right under his nose is this sort of these right-wing extremists uh, behaving in this manner. Yeah, no, that's right. And and like I said, it was a surprise to us that to see the custodial sentence for Liddington. But then when we looked at it and we saw his violent record, they couldn't really not sentence him mm. for that. But with Max Ferrer, you know, who didn't have a record, so he was only he was charged with firearm offences yep. and he was charged with um, a fray and intimidation at our house. And he got nothing. You know, he got a community corrections order and they're locking up people for... In Sydney, they're locking up people for blocking traffic. Yep. Like, that's what, that's what these new process laws do, is they criminalise blocking traffic if the police don't approve of it. So it's a terrible situation. And, yeah, like we, we said in the press release, we, you know, we've got, you know, climate activists going to jail for sitting on the road and these Nazis were, were being let off. Um, so we will see what happens with the with the next guy. But, you know, at least that Max Farrah, he got away with, with virtually nothing. 
Yeah. Mm. Uh, you also make a. I mean, Victoria shouldn't feel complacent. Uh, Ten Jewish head, headstones in a South Maitland cemetery were spray painted with the Nazi symbol uh, last weekend. You were saying in Sydney, uh, while neo-Nazis were recorded giving the Nazi salute on Elwood Beach, our very own Elwood Beach in Victoria, in January this year. So alive and well. Oh, absolutely. And like, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, Dennis Livington got sentenced to prison. Good. But is that a solution to what's going on with the far right in this country? Absolutely not. Like, there's no policing solution to this. this you know, this requires a very serious response from the left, from, from anti-racist activists. We have to stand up to the organisation of the far right. And we have to stand up to, you know, the racist mainstream politics that actually gives them oxygen and allows them to grow. You know, we've, you know we're seeing in real time the dehumanisation of Aboriginal people with the whole debate that's going on about, you know, the Alice Springs and they're bringing in explicitly racist laws that treat black people like children. You know, for God's sake, we're in a country where they can say we're going to ban a whole, you know, race of people from yeah. accessing, you know, it's just, you know, open racism at the heart of our political system. And, you know, it's that that allows the, you know, the, the far right to fester and grow. So, you know, we're, we are pleased to see the sentence against Lidington, but, you know, people shouldn't be complacent. These groups, you know, they are a very real threat and they're a threat right across the country. And, you know, we have to organise. Thanks for talking to us this morning, Paddy. No, thanks for the time. Thanks. And uh, that was uh, uh, Paddy Gibson. Uh, he uh, is a, an anti-racist campaigner in Sydney. Uh, his house was attacked by neo-Nazis and uh, they've just uh, put out a, the sentence for Den- Desmond Liddington, who's part of Firm 22, which is a neo-Nazi organisation, um, who... Uh, pleaded guilty and has been put in jail for two years with a non-parole period of 18 months, unusually. Um, Just uh, to remind you that uh, there is going to be a rally, uh, Migrants and Refugees Welcome, Nazi Gyms Are Not, February the 25th, 1pm at Sunshine Station. They're being ferreted out all over the place. Caught up in just wishing Can't stop myself from dreaming Away Then I ask myself some questions Is there something here that's missing Have I got any of these answers in my head Sometimes I don't know what I'm searching for Got my back up against the wall Ooh, I gotta be careful, cause I might fall Ooh, I know there's something, something here that's missing Something here that's missing Even on the sunniest, brightest days I wake up and it's hard to find my way Yes, the days it never turns Then through the rains, the ups and downs I gotta keep myself from my ground Only gotta be 
just one person, that's me. Sometimes I've been no one searching for Ooh, got my back up against the wall Ooh, I gotta be careful Cause I might fall Ooh, I know there's something Something here that's missing Yeah, something here that's missing Listening to Radical Radio 3CR. A week's solidarity, Bricky Team listener, when, in a cruel, economically irresponsible reaction to the down-to-earth, understand struggle bankers at the Reserve Losses Bank increasing the cash rate yet again, big economic guru Jim Chalmers Capital asked the Trublawazi Competition and Consumer Commission to investigate the lag between rate rises for borrowers and for depositors. We can tell him. Roughly three and a half minutes in the first case and eternity in the second. Ah, yes, we asked important bank supremo Charles Bloated. Uh, How is it that you can raise borrowing rates within minutes but can't seem to calculate how to increase rates for depositors? It's a question, Charles explained, of incomings and outgoings. Clearly, if we can increase incomings without increasing outgoings, that is good for all of us. All of us? But but, but what about the depositors? I said all of us. Seriously, what can an inquiry find out that we don't already know? Not that we'd mention the word greed when it comes to our great banking institutions or any practitioner of the greatest little economic order of them all, for that matter, like Mantle, real name, 
Mentioned them last week, True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review report over ripping off workers big time, 20 years using an expired agreement, then four executives agreeing to a new agreement that maintains slashing all penalty rates, forcing the Capitalist Review to editorialise over the urgent need to smash the power of evil unions. Well, the fair work, true blue Aussie, no longer work choices, just looks like it commission. This week referred Mantle's Human Relations Supremo Darren Latham to the federal, oh, sorry, a police, for allegedly lying about the agreement deliberately misleading the commission. Mantle, which employs about 700 ripped-off workers and runs Hot Wok Food Makers, James Squire Brewhouses and the Pig and Whistle pub chain, said Latham is a man of the utmost integrity and has done nothing wrong. It is extraordinary that the union and others are attacking a worker for simply doing his job. Sure, just doing his job of ripping off other workers. Shame union and others. Although we might have thought Mantle would be better off keeping its mouth shut. In his relentless campaign to improve the lot of workers to whom he devotes his every minute, the aforementioned Jim Chalmers Capital published an essay calling for capitalism with a human face. One of the clearest examples of an oxymoron we've seen for a long, long time. Prompting one capitalist newspaper headline, Chalmers Capital takes economics cue from left-winger. Economic academic Professor Mariana Matsukato, who advocates a fairer society, Jim's key catchphrase indicating calling for a fairer society is left-wing, and in the context of its use, left-wing is dangerous, treacherous. Even conceding the impossible that the greatest little economic order of them all, dog-eat-dog, is capable of fairness. Imagine what they'd say of Matsukato if she actually called for an end to capitalism. It's not worth thinking about. And in response, in its relentless search for fairness, the Business Profits Council of True Blue Aussie called on Jim and the Socialist direct quote to unleash the private sector. A well-run market economy, its supremo Jennifer Worcester cuts the wages said, unnecessarily, has delivered almost three decades of uninterrupted growth and prosperity. Yes, given the impact of, well, much more than three decades of market forces, the history of the greatest economic order, the poverty-stricken, the homeless, evil unions with both hands tied behind their backs, workers unable to survive as the costs of living soar, an endless litany of the great advantages of market forces, the mind can but boggle at the thought that all that was achieved without the private sector being unleashed. Imagine the benefits of it being fully unleashed. Things will be even better. But the threat runs far deeper than the concerns Jennifer has expressed. Far, far deeper. Because if we thought left-wing, the oxymoronic capital fairness was a threat, thanks to a giant mind thinker, Ron Fox of Maroubra, we have been warned it's far, far, far worse. Ron alerted us through the letter pages of the capitalist media, the good media, for those with any knowledge of history or recall of history, there would in Jim Chalmers' Capital's manifesto be resounding and alarming echoes of 
I hope you're sitting down, listener, or more probably lying down. If not, please sit down. You'll need to. Alarming echoes of Marx and Engels. Oh, thank goodness for Ron's perspicacity and obvious intelligence, because don't know about you, listener, but I, for one, would never have tipped Jim as the dangerous Marxist he obviously is especially when he covers his evil, long-haired commie tracks by declaring capitalism, market forces, the caring business class, are a key element of the fairness he talks about. Latest speculation on nuclear subs for True Blavosi is they should be in the water, well under it, in about 30 years, prompting our Minister for Offence and trained killing Richard Malls, the bad guys, to send an urgent request to evil China. Uh, he urged, uh, wonder if you could refrain from doing anything to upset our very, very, very close friend, the US of the UN of the US of the world for, say, 30 years, give or take, uh, so we can fully enjoy the toys for the boys' fun? Making spending trillions with the U.S. armed merchants of death such a smart use of our public money, we are told, is so tight when people ask for things that don't kill people. Bit of a nuclear problem in Western Trublawazi as a radioactive cesium capsule disappeared off a truck. The search by Rio Tinto, the planet restricted to most of the state. Putting aside the fact that we learned the great resource BMOs use these lethal capsules as part of their mining operations, we also noted advocates for a nuclear waste dump on indigenous land in South Trublawazi argue this sort of thing couldn't possibly happen. Uh, and it can't. Nuke Ian and McFarton farted. Uh, but it did. But only because it, it fell off the truck. Clearly, if it hadn't fallen off the truck it wouldn't have fallen off the truck. Good point. Paul Ian, a former coalition minister for the big polluters who now works for the big polluters and therefore argues that we must extract and use more and more gas as a transition to more and more gas as a transition from coal, which we must also use to have something from which to transition. Got a bit confused this week, arguing that Troubler was he must also adopt nuclear reactors. You can run on gas for longer, but that means you are just simply substituting gas for coal. If you are going to try to get to zero emissions, then nuclear is obviously part of the answer. Obviously. And it would be up and running at about the same time as the nuclear subs, and at roughly the same inconsequential cost. Uh, but hang on, Ian, you're not suggesting that gas and coal are both a problem, are you? Or, or that there is such a thing as climate change? I'd need to read back what I uh, uh, meant to say, uh, that uh, 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 Ian franked his consistent inconsistency and confusion, accusing the socialists of hiding behind the too expensive excuse for opposing nuclear energy uh, for decades, but I think it masks their political ideology. If we'd said the same thing about wind and solar, it never would have been uh, developed. Uh, but Ian, you did say the same thing, and you, you still say the same things. Uh, I meant to... Uh, uh, right, we'll leave Ian uh, meaning to R. 
There was speculation on whether the artificial intelligence chat box could write a better parliamentary speech than the parliamentarians themselves. No idea. But one thing is certain. They couldn't do any worse. Often after a heavy night on the booze, people, well, this is purely hearsay, of course, have a bit of trouble remembering other than that awful feeling, uh, I think I did something terrible. Well, a Korean study suggests up to three standard drinks a day may reduce our risk of dementia. And it's understandable. We'd never forget to have our three drinks a day. Not dementia, but inbreeding. The Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin breathlessly reported that the first stamps in His Most Gracious Majesty's home country depicting King Big Ears III are about to be released with the vital information that he is facing left, as all British monarchs have done on stamps since the Penny Black. And I thought, that's the nearest he's ever going to go to the left. On the filthy rich, not suggesting for a moment there's a law for the rich and a law for the poor, but you'll recall or not, last week we mentioned an Aussie tennis player right up there with Novak's in the totally unlikable department who hobbled into a different court on crutches this week and pleaded guilty to a domestic violence charge, but walked, well, hobbled free with no conviction while a 23-year-old Wangaratta bloke faced court for threatening bank staff after discovering $105 had been deducted without his knowledge. Not that we'd condone bank robbery out or uh, taking bank robbery out on the rank-and-file workers, but he, he told the court he was working with a behavioural specialist. I'm a changed man, he said. Result? He was convicted and fined $600, meaning he's now 705 worse off, while a millionaire brat walks free, putting domestic violence in its place. Finally, just in case we might think there's a bit of inconsistency creeping into all this, our world was righted by our old mate Innes Will Cost the Workers of the Trublawazi Industry Profits Group, who informed the government there were emerging problems with the Secure Jobs Better Pay Bill. And we would urge the Minister to look at some of the details governing the practical operation of the multi-employer bargaining provisions that remain unclear and are obviously problematic. Ah, uh, thank you, Innes. At least there are some constants in this world. Good morning. Hi, I'm Monero from Fitzroy Primary School, and you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR. And you're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, 3CR Saturday Breakfast Show. And uh, we're going to move straight on to uh, the rally that was held outside uh, Nathan Lambert's uh, office in Preston, Save Preston Market. It was uh, a big deal in the last federal uh, Victorian state election uh, and in fact uh, a safe Labor seat saw a swing of 15% um, and it, it revolves around issues like Save Preston Market. Uh, first up we hear from Gatano Agrico who was the uh, former uh, <clears throat> uh, councillor 
for the area who put his hat in the ring for the Victorian state election and he was the threat There is, and he'll explain to you what, what happened and then we go on and talk to a couple of people who were outside uh, Nathan Lambert's office for some words about why they uh, were there. Yeah, so we're outside um, the uh, office of Nathan Lambert, who has succeeded in getting into uh, Victorian Parliament, uh, representing uh, the people of Preston. But uh, uh, he was given a bit of a scare, wasn't he, Gatane? Yeah, look, the the result was really, really close, and um, uh, it took nearly two weeks to finally determine the outcome of it. Um, yeah, um, a lot of scrutineering that took place after uh, the ballots uh, were in. And basically the community um, came out and said that we're not happy with what's taking place in terms of the level of representation that they get within Preston and Reservoir. And that was um, the result that Labor got where they, their primary vote went down nearly 15%. That's quite substantial. No, it's huge. Uh, I don't think that that was evidenced um, anywhere else in the state. No. And, and so it was a huge um, um, drop in their vote. It went far beyond the, the actual drop uh, across the whole um, state. So it's a big signal to Labor, particularly where they take um, seats for granted, and where they take the community for granted, and where they're not listening to the community. And this is the response of the community. If you don't listen, to what our concerns are, what our issues are, well, we're going to penalise you when we can, particularly at election time. Well, there was a, a swing towards the Greens, but there was also a swing towards you as an independent. Now, let's get it right. Um, the Greens here in Preston and Reservoir, their vote only went up by 0.07%. It's basically what, the, what they got last time. So a lot of people thought that the Greens got the big swing that did not get a big swing here because also the Greens in the past, in relation to Preston Market, particularly the Darabin Greens, um, they were quite uh, against um, the issue of the market staying where it is. They were happy to vote in the chamber, and they did this many times in the council, where they voted um, basically saying that it was not important whether the market stayed where it was or the market was moved. It was only um, later on in the council able to shift the position of the council, notwithstanding that the Greens still voted against um, the position of keeping the market where it is. This is the Darabin Greens. Well, the election is finished, but uh, the issue hasn't finished. Of course not. Look, the issue will be um, going on. At the moment, what's happened is that uh, a special standing committee was established by the minister and the committee met for five or six weeks. Uh, all these high-powered QCs were there, and the developer had their QC, the VPA had their QC, the council had a QC, and the community members, the Save the Preston Market Action Group, they also presented their case. After five or six um, weeks of hearings, the, the chairperson of the um, standing committee said that they will come out with their recommendation. This was supposed to happen at the end of December, and um, we haven't heard since. So part of the protest here, I believe, from the Save the Preston Market Group is to say, say, Minister, you have a copy of the report. It was a public hearing and, and that that report needs to be made public. Why are you holding on to that report? And, um, and why is only you privileged and maybe some of your 
uh, parliamentary colleagues uh, privileged enough to see that report and not the community to see that report. And furthermore, what I believe that the Save the Preston Market Action Group is saying is that irrespective of what the report says, whether the report recommends the market to be knocked down or whether the report says the market needs to stay, that you, Minister, make the final decision. You, Minister, have the power under the, um, as, as a planning minister and you have the discretion to say to the developers, yes, you can develop. These are the rules under which you can develop the, um, that, that market side. And part of those rules will be that the market stays where it is. Minister has the power to do that. They're going to try and skirt that and, 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 and invent some other reasons why they're um, going to come up with their joke. But we'll wait and see. But we're saying to the minister, minister, release the report and then tell us, minister, what your decision is going to be. Because you have the power to stop all this nonsense and say to the developers, um, here are the... Um, uh, here are, here are the planning um, guidelines for that site, and part of those planning guidelines will be that the market stays where it is. Can you tell my listeners why it's so important that the Preston market be retained? Well, the Preston market has been there for over 50 years. The Preston market is a, an iconic site for the uh, for the northern region, north of um, Victoria Market. There's no other market like Preston Market. Preston it, it supplies fresh fruit. Exactly, it supplies fresh food. And it also uh, is a market which is quite unique. There's a, 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 a multicultural history associated with the market, with the waves of migration that have gone through the market. It's a living, thriving market. It's, uh, the community love it. Uh, it's an expression of what Preston, what the northern suburbs is. And that it provides actually uh, fresh food and cheap, reliable source of uh, fresh food that you would not find um, in supermarkets or other stores. Why I say that? Because when you go to Preston Market, I've got a grandson. When, when I take my grandson to the Preston Market, the baker gives him a free ro little roll. And the, the fruiterer gives him a little apple. If I go to a supermarket, who's gonna give my grandson a little roll? Who's gonna give my grandson a little apple? That does not happen. So the relationships that are established between the community and the traders, it, it, it's an invaluable thing. And, uh, and that's why we wanna preserve the Preston Market. Uh, the um, there is a community plan for how you know the developer can get a little bit of what they want and the community gets what they want, isn't it? So what do you mean by that? Well, there is a plan that would retain the market. Okay, there, there are different positions. Like the developer has the position that they would like to see the market gone. The the VP of the Victorian Planning Authority, they also in their plans are saying that eighty percent of the market could be demolished. Instead, the council has put forward a position where the market can stay and have some sensitive development around the market and actually tick off on all the things that the VPA wants, like the, the number of apartments and all those things. And the community has a much more visionary approach to sort of say, the market needs to stay. And like Victoria Market and the other markets in Melbourne, the Preston Market needs to be compulsory acquired and put in public hands. That's the direction that we should be going into because that will safeguard the market into the future. That's why we still have Victoria Market and we still have many of the other public markets because they were in public hands. Unfortunately, in the situation that we have here, the conundrum that we have is that we have a market which is on private land, owned by private um, um, capital, but the market has taken on a, a public uh, personality.
a, a public character. But, and that's the conundrum. You have a market that has, is publicly loved. When people go to Preston Market, they don't feel that they're walking onto private property. It's not like you go to a shopping center or a supermarket, you know you're on private property. Preston Market has taken on this persona of being a public space. Given that, um, the state government, there are provisions under the state government law to compulsory acquire um, uh, assets uh, for the community betterment. And I think here there's a really strong argument to do that. It's the same way when the when the state government says that we have to widen a road or build a bridge, they can publicly acquire a land because of the public good. G'day, I'm from 3CR. Do you want to tell me why it's so important? Why is this so important? Um, the, the market? Oh, well, the market. I mean, the market's just incredibly important for um, everybody in the community, really, because it's this, it's this centre of the community. It's this sort of place where everyone goes to sort of to hang out. You don't have to go there and like spend a lot of money or like a mall or something like that. It's a beautiful sort of community space, and um, people get there. You know, they're really affordable, cheap fruit and vegetables there and stuff. And it's also like a, a I guess, a, a living symbol of the multicultural and working class sort of background of this area. And you, you can go there and, you know, no matter who you are or where you're from, you, you're just, you're just going to be amongst people. You're not going to feel like an outsider at Preston Market. So, so have you heard from uh, Nathan Lambert? Uh, yes, we have heard from Nathan Lambert. What we heard from him is that he accused us of being aggressive to his staff at this very protest that we are at today. But he did that three days ago. Wow. Yes. So he so had he's a prescient. Very, yes, he has a very bad reaction to it. He wasn't interested in the actual spirit of what we're doing and why we're doing it. He's only really interested in trying to like minimise the um, political impact that it has on him. It appears. He, he also accused us of um, being an anonymous group, like we're some sort of cabal of powerful people. Where, where you know, various parents and community members, as you can see here, um, a lot of us have our kids here and. Uh, we've put our names and faces all over the place. We've we've met with him personally as well. So, his yeah his his, his response has been very disappointing to say the least. So just a political uh, game that he's playing. Yeah, it's a political game, but I don't even understand it because he's not even pretending to to care about what the community cares about. He just he was just trying to sort of um, undermine this this small protest here by saying that um that it's on the wrong day because he can't be here and all these kind of things where. It's, it, he's not demonstrating to us that he actually cares about the real issue, which is that the market is of central importance to people in this community, and we've been fighting for it for years now, and we'd really want um, the Labor government to, uh, you know, to, to come through and publicly acquire the market for the benefit of everybody. The benefit of everybody. Sorry. So, so your boss said to go, come out and uh, finish early? Absolutely. She supports everything that we do in regards to the market. Her daughter actually works <laughs> at the market, so she has um, a fondness to it as well and has helped us a lot on the campaign. Yeah. yeah. What did he put up? Uh, Nathan's post on Facebook accusing this group of being aggressive. Um, you know, a very, very insulted by anyone calling <laughs> calling a group aggressive especially a group that actually just wants the market for our community uh, it's just something I've never ever thought we were going to experience we would think everyone would back saving the market it's it's what makes Darabin I can't imagine life without this market I just can't imagine
So it was actually supposed to be handed down before the end of the election. Yeah, true to state government bureaucracies, the decision on the development of Preston Market was supposed to happen before the state election, but the Victorian Planning Authority held back on that decision since Andrews was re-elected for a third term. There's been another change to the planning portfolio. Sonia Kilkenny is the new planning minister. Um, she'll have the final say on the decision, but once again hasn't, hasn't made one. And that's why we're out here today to apply maximum pressure on the Labor Party who are yet to make a decision. That's why the Labor Party in one of the safest states in this state suffered a mammoth swing against them because they're on the wrong side of history when it comes to the issue of the Preston market. And people can see it for what it is. Such proportions you would terrorize your dream Nobody knows how the world will turn Whether you're gonna fall in love or gonna be burned No one can help you but a good piece of advice is Do what you want Don't smoke too much Yes. 
Join us in the ballroom at Ripon Lee Estates on February the 16th with author, the National Trust's very own, Matt Chester, as he reads from the sweetest teddy bear book going around, Elm and Willow's Adventures at Ripon Lee, Teddy Bear's Picnic. The reading will be accompanied by a live piano score, making sure the teddy bears all have the most wonderful adventures possible. Friend of Ripon Lee, Jolene Jenkins, illustrated the storybook, filling it with images of teddy bear friends exploring the grounds of Ripon Lee. Copies of the book will be available for purchase after the reading. Visit the Ripon Lee website for details and to book your spot, ripponleeestate.com.au. The National Trust of Australia is a 3CR supporter. Live it up at this year's National Sustainable Living Festival, showcasing solutions to the ecological challenges of our times. Join the sustainability movement for a month of workshops, talks, demonstrations, artworks, exhibitions, films and live performances. Featuring the great local picnic at Royal Botanic Gardens for a big green day out with ABC Gardening Australia's Costa Georgiatis. Full program online, slf.org.au. The National Sustainable Living Festival is a 3CR supporter. Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am. Tune in and listen up. And we've come to the end of Solidarity Breakfast for this week. We were going to listen to a chat that I had with... uh, May uh, Aziz from Everyone's Home, but we'll hold that over for next week. They've uh, got some interesting things to say, uh, calling on the government to phase out taxpayer handouts for investors and build social and public housing. But uh, we'll hold that over till next week. Uh, But we did today go to the Rally for the Forests on the first day of uh, Victorian Parliament on the 7th of February, calling for the end of native forest logging. Very interesting information about what is intended for the Dandenongs uh, and obviously the fight back in uh, Wombat uh, State Forest. Uh, the um, An update on the fight from uh, the uh, Friends of the Forests in King Lake. Uh, we're going to... Uh, we also heard from uh, Paddy Gibson about the uh, imprisonment of a, a, a Nazi... Uh, a pro-Nazi fellow who attacked his house. Uh, Two more that are going to be looked at later on. Uh, One of them who's uh, got a non-custodial sentence and the other who pleaded not guilty. But anyway, it's an interesting uh, ongoing struggle against uh, right-wing politics in Australia. Uh, If you want to be in the forefront of that, there's going to be a rally um, at Sunshine Station February the 25th, 1pm, migrants and refugees welcome, Nazi gyms are not. That's February the 25th, 1pm, Sunshine Station. Uh, We also went to the rally that was held outside Nathan Lambert's office, Save Preston Market. Uh, We're going to go out with a song by uh, Dr 
G in a pingu, and uh, we're going to let you get ready for Asia Pacific currents. Boon Malikin, Ban listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.